This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Hoisty Colors podcast as we count down the hours until Thursday night football between East Carolina and South Florida. I am Stephen Igo, the publisher of HoistyColors.net and the host of this podcast. Got a ton of questions already on Twitter and I just posted this week just a couple of hours ago and questions rolling in on Hoisty Colors as well. So got a lot to answer. And we'll answer those questions as we count down the kickoff. East Carolina and South Florida. Two programs hungry for a win. Of course, USF coming off a big victory over Temple. Their first FBS triumph in nearly two full years. Because it might be actually two full years and over that. Uh, 2019 at ECU, when Charlie Strong was that coach, was the last time the Bulls had defeated an FBS team until last Saturday against Temple, and they rolled up 420-plus rushing yards in the victory over the Owls. Really impressive performance. Prior to that, they had played Tulsa tough, so they had really strung together some pretty quality games. Probably should have beat Tulsa. I watched the the fourth quarter of that game. Should have won that game. And so you're talking about a team that has improved. Under second-year head coach Jeff Scott had a pretty ridiculous schedule early, NC State, Florida, BYU, among the teams that they played. And uh, I think four of their first five teams, along with SMU, were were ranked. And so they they struggled and, you know, lost some confidence, I thought, early in the season. Now they're getting that back, which makes for somewhat of a dangerous team coming into Dowdy Ficklin Stadium on Thursday night. ECU, I think, is a a 9.5-point favorite at the time of this recording. The Pirates don't tend to do well as the favorite. And... You know, this is a program right now, while they are trending in the right direction, can't afford, in my opinion, to lose this football game. You know, we've talked so much about the team making strides, but not quite being able to finish those games at UCF, at Houston, against South Carolina. Well, you lose all that positive momentum if you if you come out against a team you're favored nearly by 10 points against and lose at home. So this, uh, you know... I, I, I always hesitate to say must win, but I do feel like this is a game East Carolina has to show up in. And I think if they play to their potential, they will win this football game. But coming off a short week, all the crap that happened at Houston, South Florida coming in with some mojo, uh, this one does give you a little bit of hesitation in terms of how does ECU handle being in this spot uh, with so many kind of different varying factors. So a lot to look to going into Thursday night in terms of the variables surrounding this football game. Thursday games are always tough, especially when you basically lose a whole night of sleep on Saturday night going into Sunday, which East Carolina did. I also think South South Florida will be very motivated for this game after losing pretty handily to ECU last year in Tampa. Similar to how we talked about when ECU lost 
uh, to Tulane at home last year in somewhat embarrassing fashion. I think you'll see a similar motivated South Florida team and coaching staff coming into Thursday night. So uh, we'll get more into the matchups on the field. We got a lot of questions about that. Uh, there is some some questions surrounding the health of uh, starting quarterback for South Florida. We'll touch on that. Uh, we'll touch on some of the matchups. Who has to play well for ECU? I'll give my prediction as well at the end of the show. But let's dive into this again before before we get to the questions real quick. Um, Thursday night, 7.30 p.m. kickoff, ESPN front and center, blackout. And if you did not see the the uh, Paint It Black video produced by the ECU football office and the, the crew there, Jared Osmick, um, Man, what a what a product. That was a tremendous video. You know, you talk about hype videos, you can't do them much better than that. So shout out to Jarrett who did a tremendous job with that. He has crushed it ever since he got here in his role. He's a Greenville guy. Um so he, he truly kinda loves ECU and and uh gets the he has the pulse for what East Carolina fans want. And I thought it was a very cool video, pirate themed, paint it black. He just really hit I think every mark in that video, you want to see a video like that hit. So that was awesome. Should be a good atmosphere for the students. A lot has gone into the marketing department, making this a big deal for the students. They know, of course, it's going to be tough for families to make a midweek game on a Thursday night, especially to stay for the whole game. And hopefully the students show up and stay for the whole game as well. They're trying to set the student attendance record. We'll see if they can do that on Thursday night. But if you're a student listening to this, you know, I urge you, if it's, especially if it's a close game, you know, save the Halloween party in for Friday, Saturday, and uh, and Sunday. You know, you can do that the rest of the weekend. It makes a difference when you stick around for the third and fourth quarter and don't just bail at halftime. Uh, that, the team especially feeds off that crowd noise, that energy. When you look up and you see a packed student section, that makes such a big difference compared to one that's sparse. Um, so I would urge the students to stick around if they can on Thursday night. All right, so it should be a fun atmosphere. We'll see what the actual attendance is, but I think the student – Attendance will be a very strong one. All right, let's get into some of these questions. We'll start first with the Hoisty Colors message board, and then we'll transition to Twitter. All right, EC Pirates 21, he asked, what is the biggest thing that concerns you about South Florida? Well, number one, I think South Florida, no matter how down they are, they always have talent, speed, and athleticism. I mean, you're in Tampa, Florida. You're going to recruit fairly well, even if you're not recruiting well. What I'm saying is you can go drive in basically any direction in Florida and find good football players. So they're always going to have talent. It's just you can't be in that location and not have some semblance of talent. Uh, The other thing that really concerns me as far as their football team is the way they run the football. It's been a little inconsistent times this year, but really – against Tulsa and especially against Temple, they ran the ball with authority and they controlled the game because of the way they ran the ball. Now, Temple's offense has struggled or Temple's defense has struggled against the run. You have to factor that in. But ECU's run defense has not been invincible. I mean, there's been times uh, this year where they've struggled. If South Florida is able to come in here with their offensive line and establish a running game and eat up clock, this becomes a much different football game than having South Florida trying to beat you through the air. So, yeah, I mean, they, they held the ball for 45 minutes of the 60 minutes of time possession against Temple, and really the Owls didn't have much of a chance at all because of that. So if there's one big thing that concerns me on the field, it's the fact that they can run the ball, get first downs, and milk the clock, and then it becomes a much different football football game. At that point, you're basically facing Navy. And we all know how much the option and eating the clock can neutralize 
any football game um, or any opponent and, and give you a chance in any football game. All right, Kiss My Cass, he says, how do you think our defense will do against their mobile quarterback? Will we blitz more or the same slash less than we have the last few games? You know, good question. Timmy McClain for South Florida is the the freshman quarterback for uh, the Bulls, and he's been pretty impressive this year. Mobile kid, you know, has a good arm, can throw the football, and can do it pretty successfully. He's uh, completing 57% of his passes for 1,000 yards on the dot, two touchdowns, two picks. Rushing the football, McClain, 74 carries, 217 yards, and a touchdown. He's got 309 yards gained, though. And so he's definitely a threat to keep the ball, definitely a threat to extend plays. We saw how much Jack Chambers of Charleston Southern really gave ECU's defenses fits. You know, the good thing is they've seen that type of athlete, and McLean is probably, I don't know if he's quite as quick as Chambers, but he's probably a more overall dynamic quarterback, I would say. And so if he's able to go on on Thursday and he is dealing with an ankle injury coming out of the uh, the last game, and it sounds like he'll be a game-time decision. Uh, I think ECU's obviously got to account for him in the passing game. If he's 100% healthy, it becomes that much more imperative. If he's not 100% healthy, you probably won't see him run as much, but it's still a big part of his game. Um, so how does ECU account for him? You know, I think you'll see them – I think you'll see them blitz a good amount because he's a young quarterback, mobile or not. The biggest thing with blitzing is when you blitz a quarterback like that, you have to keep your pass rush integrity. You can't just go flying at the quarterback and all of a sudden you lose your lane discipline and that's when the quarterback gets out and can scramble. Let's say you blitz on third and eight. Makes sense in theory, but you bring six or seven. If that first wave of the blitz, if that blitz goes by the quarterback, if the offensive line picks it up, and the quarterback is able to evade the rush and get outside the pocket, he pretty much has 10, 20-yard gain in front of him because everybody else is in man coverage. With their back turned to the play, the quarterback's able to run down the field. So it can be a gamble uh, for sure when you're blitzing. It can also create havoc. It can, re- it can create bad throws. It can create negative plays. you just got to be very careful when you're blitzing consistently against a young quarterback. But from what I saw against Tulsa, I feel like he was pretty uncomfortable against the Blitz, the games I've watched this year. So I would expect ECU to try and mix it up a lot. If McLean's in there, or if their backup, Travis Marsh is in there, same type of deal. Uh, Marsh is a young signal caller who has struggled with the Blitz at time as well, even though he's got a, a live arm, can really spin the football. Um, but yeah, so I expect a heavy dose of Blitzing, mixing it up. I mean, Blake Carroll does that anyway, but... I think you'll see ECU blitz even more maybe than normal just just based upon the quarterback they are playing. Of course, maybe they'll go out there and play coverage and confuse them that way. I mean, that's always the that's the problem of playing ECU. I mean, there's been times this year where where they've blitzed 50% of the time on passing downs. There's been times where they've blitzed 25 to 30%. So it just depends on how Blake Carroll, you know, wants to play it, what type of looks they're getting, etc. All right, uh, Yarum. He's got a couple of questions. He says, because of their quarterback's mobility, do you see the coaches using Aaron Ramsour as a QB spot in this football game? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I think you'll definitely see ECU use a linebacker as a spy if uh, if McLean is out there. You know, I like Ramsour as a spy because I feel like he's better against the run and reacting more so than he is against the pass. And so if you're a quarterback spy, Basically, what you're doing is just reading and reacting on a 
on a play-in, play-out basis. His first step and his lateral movement skills are pretty elite for a linebacker. His tackling skills are good. And I think he's probably your most athletic linebacker. I think he makes a lot of sense as a spy, more so than, you know, Bruce or uh, uh, Miles Berry. Uh, you know, the change of direction from Aaron is pretty elite. So he makes a lot of sense. Of course, you have to be able to trust him if you're the defensive coordinator to put him in there and say, hey, you got to be able to spy the quarterback, but you also be able, you know, you have to be able to, to read what he's doing in the pocket. You don't want to get uh, caught up in thinking, that you can blitz up the middle, let's say, and then you lose integrity as a spy and he's able to get outside the tackle and then run. So you have to be very disciplined as a spy, but you also, it does come down to reading, reacting, kind of playing discipline, staying home, that sort of deal. So um, it'll be interesting to see how they how they tee that up. You know, last year against Cincinnati, they used like three or four spies against Desmond Ritter and it still didn't matter. You know, Ritter just kind of ran right by him. So um, I think Ram Sewer makes a lot of sense as a guy who could fill that role pretty well as long as he's able to stay disciplined. Number two from Yarm, he asks, who offensively and defensively will grade out the best in this game? He says it's obviously a guest. You know, I mean, I feel like when Holton Aylers has a, a poor game, he usually comes back and plays well. I think Holton Aylers will play well this week. Um, did not play his best game against Houston. I think South Florida is an advantageous advantageous matchup for this offense uh, in several ways. So I expect Holton Aylers to perform well. I think the running game, we have not seen Keaton Mitchell bust off a big run since the Tulane game. I wouldn't be surprised at all if he's able to do that this week. And Rajay Harris had a huge game against South Florida last year. So I expect several offensive players to have good days if ECU performs to their expectation. Defensively, with South Florida's running ability, this is a game where your linebackers have to play well. Your Sam linebacker has to play well. Your safeties have to play well. You got to be able to fit runs. You got to be able to do it well. And um, that's something that ECU's got to to head into Thursday knowing. And so I think you got to count on all your linebackers, all your safeties to perform well. Otherwise, you, you will be in trouble. Of course, the defensive line has to do its part um, and create some plays, hopefully some negative plays. But those linebackers and those safeties have to fit correctly, for sure, for ECU to have a chance to get off the field consistently on Thursday. All right, Forever Pirate PG, he says, "Who do you see us? Who do you see giving us the biggest headache from the USF defense?" Uh, I guess you so you're asking who, which South Florida defensive player will give ECU the biggest headache. Uh, well, I think it's one of their linebackers who probably is their best player overall. Dwayne Boyles, just a really solid player. Um, 44 tackles to lead their team, two interceptions. Kind of just an all-around playmaker. They got two really good athletes at linebacker. Dwayne Boyles and Antonio Greer, two guys who can rush the passer on blitzes, play the run pretty well, and can make plays. Both of them have two picks apiece, which you don't really see a lot from linebackers, so they're athletic enough to make plays in coverage. They're good enough to make impact plays against the run. So, you know, they're two guys you got to know, basically pre-snap, where they're lining up, what they're doing, and they can cause you some headaches for sure. Forever Pirate PG also asked, do you think Holton Aethers will run it more given his last two performances? You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's more of a it's more of a feel thing. I don't think you're going to see any more design runs necessarily. I think it's more about hey, just if he gets in that situation again, will he tuck the football and run it? You know, naturally you would say yeah, but I I thought 
naturally you would think he would do that going into the Houston game after what happened against UCF. So I think it more or less just depends on what situations play out uh, on Thursday. You know, is he in that that possibility where he's outside the tackle, has an option to pass it or run it? Unless he's 100% sure of making a throw, I think at this point you have to almost default to running. I mean, if there's any hesitancy at all in throwing the football, uh, just run at this point. Get positive yardage and get a first down if possible, but definitely get positive yards and move on to the next play. So um, at some point you do have to learn from it and be better at it. And I would think hopefully now that he's seen it in two different situations, uh, both cases rolling to his right, which is even tougher to do for a lefty, uh, hopefully we'll see him pull it unless he absolutely is sure that he can complete the football. Um, and finally, from Forever Pirate PG, he says, it's third and six on our own 45 against USF's defense. What play do you run to get the first down and why? Well, I mean, there's a ton of variables there. There's A, what's the score? B, where are you at in the field? C, how are they playing you? D, how is your offense performing? Is is your pass game working well? Is your running game working well? I mean, this I don't really know if I can answer that question, PG. I mean, I guess if you're saying it's a close game and you need a first down, I mean, you run uh, a passing play with more medium routes than deep routes. Um Give yourself options. I mean, a lot of it, too, plays is what do you think they're doing coverage-wise? Do you think they're going zone, man, blitz, snow blitz? I mean, there's so many variables there. Uh, I would hesitate to run a quarterback draw, which ECU loves to run on third downs, and uh, I, because it hasn't been very successful lately. You know, so I would look for Tyler Sneed, obviously, first, but there's a good chance that the opposing defense is going to try and take him away. Then I would look to Omatosho. I think he's your second read at this point. And then maybe to the other side of the field, either C.J. Johnson or Hatfield or whoever. Um, but, you know, one thing I've noticed recently is in, in these third and short, third medium situations, the defenses are basically daring ECU to beat man coverage and beat man press coverage, and they have not been able to. So everybody wants to blame the offensive coordinator and the quarterback for third down failures. But at some point, the wide receivers and the the pass catchers, they have to win the one-on-one matchups. You know, they got to go up and get the ball. They have to beat their man off the line and, and get the inside leverage on a slant and then make a contested catch. So uh, I just want to see, you know, I understand why ECU's throwing deep on those third and shorts, but I would like to see ECU try and win some more of those just simple patterns in terms of slants or skinny posts, etc., to where they can just get the first down and then move on to the next play rather than have to go for the home run, a low percentage pass on third medium. Um, easier said than done, of course, the receivers have to win at the point of contact, and that's something they've struggled with. But I do think in this game you've got more favorable matchups against their secondary that hopefully the Pirates can take advantage of. Um, so, again, I don't really know how to answer that question other than say it a lot depends on the situation. Uh, Tarbury Bill says, uh, will you be leading the press box and chanting the Pirates of the Caribbean song do it for Eric. Yeah, Eric Ward, uh, appreciate this, Eric, with the request on Twitter. I'll read it word for word. Calling Pirate Nation, one request this week. We need you to chant along with the Hoist the Colors video tomorrow night to get this game started the right way. Yeah, I mean, they've done the Pirates of the Caribbean Hoist the Colors video a while. I feel like 
a couple years ago, and maybe it's just because the stands were more full, pretty much the entire student section would kind of link up in unison, sway back and forth, and sing the Hoist of Color song. And it's kind of gotten away from that for whatever reason for the last couple of years. And maybe it's just due to the students have not done it enough and the rest of the stadium isn't doing it enough. But with a packed student section, with a night game, with some alcoholic beverages and a lot of people's bellies, what better time than to start linking arms again, swaying in unison, and chanting hoist the colors. Why not? Let's do it. And then add a .net on the end just for uh, some extra publicity for the website. Uh, but no, I mean, seriously, I think it, it, it's a very cool visual when it happens. And so hopefully we can uh, find a way to replicate that as uh, as the Pirate Nation on Thursday. I'll be in the press box. So even if I was chanting the Pirates of the Caribbean song, Hoist the Colors, I don't think anybody could hear me because it's soundproof. So the other people, no cheering is allowed in the press box because it's a working environment. I think I'd be kicked out. Um, so I will probably not be leading the cheer. If they let me on the field, maybe I'll do that, but I can't do it from the press box. All right, let's transition now. Uh, I'll check again. I'll check this, this thread again on the, the website to make sure I'm not going to miss any questions before we wrap this podcast up. But got a lot of uh, a lot of responses on Twitter. And so we'll, we'll go to the questions there. And speaking of Pirates of the Caribbean, Will Turner from 24-7 Sports, he's the South Florida beat writer for 24-7. Also, great pirate name, Will Turner. He asks, why is Orlando Bloom better than Johnny Depp in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies? And if you're not familiar with the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, then I'm sorry, but you should realize, if you are familiar, that Will Turner is one of the main characters, and he's played by Orlando Bloom. And he is the son of Bootstrap Bill Turner. Bootstrap Bill, uh, who is a legendary pirate, and Will Turner becomes a pirate himself. Spoiler alert, sorry. If you haven't seen it by now, then it doesn't really matter. Um... And embraces that lifestyle. So, you know, as much as I love Johnny Depp and Captain Jack Sparrow, Will Turner, just as good of a character. Uh, Kiera Knightley, though, definitely uh, definitely a great character, too. Uh, Elizabeth Swan. So, uh, fun movies, especially the first couple. You know, after that, it got kind of ridiculous. But um, I'm sure they'll make another one just because it's a money grab. Uh, all right, Coastal Juan, he asked, does your... All right, I don't... <laughs> I can't even read this. Does your initial asparagus pee ever trick you just for a second into thinking that you're dying inside? I don't know what this has to do with South Florida and East Carolina coastal, but it is a very weird sensation. I used to eat asparagus a lot, especially like a year or two ago, and for some reason I've just transitioned more to broccoli and sweet potato as my vegetables. But there was a while there where when I was first eating asparagus, man, it really did trip me out, the uh, the smell of the asparagus pee. But after a while, you get used to it. I never thought I was dying inside. It did catch me off guard probably the first couple of times. Um, so I have to say, no, I did never thought I was dying inside. Um, all right, now that we've answered Pirates of the Caribbean and asparagus pee questions, let's transition back to ECU South Florida. 
All right, Mike, uh, he asks, we are over halfway through the season. How many games so far this year can you say we have definitively had the best QB on the field that day? Uh, That's a good question. Um, Again, a lot of questions with a lot of variables. Like, if you put Holt Naylor's in the App State offense where he basically just has to hand the football off and go play-action pass, you know, if you put Chase Bryce and Holt Naylor's head-to-head just as far as talent and leadership, all that stuff, I would, maybe I'm biased, but I'd probably lean in Ehlers. I mean, Chase Bryce was pretty terrible at Duke now that he's surrounded with a pretty elite supporting cast for his level. Uh, he's much better. I don't think that's a coincidence. Uh, I think you could say the same thing for Holt Naylor's, who has been far from terrible at ECU. He's been very productive. He's the third leading passer in school history, soon to be the second. So, um, I'd lean Ehlers, and again, you say definitively. Uh, definitely Ehlers in the opener, South Carolina. Ehlers did not play well, but uh, at the same time, neither did Zeb Noland. So I don't think you can say definitively there. Uh, the third game of the year, Grant Wells. I mean, he's he's pretty he's pretty elite. I would lean towards Grant Wells. His arm talent is uh, is very good. Um, so I would go Grant Wells there. Uh, I'm trying to do the schedule off the top of my head. Fourth game of the year, Charleston Southern. I mean, the Jack Chambers kid was just making plays left and right. I thought he played the game of his life. On that particular day, I would probably lean towards Jack Chambers. For a career, I would definitely take Holton Aylers. I guess your question is definitively that day. So I'd, I would say Chambers that day. Uh, the offense did not play well outside of one quarter in that game. Um, so I would go Chambers in the Tulane game. I thought Aylers was the better quarterback. Pratt was playing hurt, but Aylers had a very good game against Tulane. Um, UCF, I mean, their quarterback did very little. Their quarterback did very little, so I would say no to that one. And Houston, uh, same type of deal. I mean, Clayton Toon made the throws that were there, but did not do anything incredible. Uh, Their offense was worse than ECU's offense, so I would say, honestly, two. As crazy as that sounds, Marshall and Charleston Southern are the two games where I felt like the quarterback play was significantly better on the other side on that particular day. Uh, and and that's kind of how it would feel. I mean, Chase Bryce had good numbers at the end of that game compared to Holton Ehlers for sure, but I also think it was a, a much better situation for him to be in. Um, yeah, but I guess, again, the question is on that day, I guess you go Chase Bryce that day. Because of the way he performed. So I, I, I go three three out of seven games. Um, App, Marshall, Charleston Southern. Ironically, two of those are ECU wins. So, But I thought Wells was pretty pretty spectacular. Did throw a couple of picks, but I thought overall played well. All right. Um, next question. Dell Belvin asks, is our defense built to stop an offense that's just that statistically is heavy in the run game, what are the keys to stopping their running attack? Yeah, I would say, yeah. I mean, ECU has played fairly well against teams that are run heavy this year outside of App State, and that was the stretch zone. They just App's just elite at executing that. So 
they knew they were going to get the run against South Carolina, and they shut it down. They shut down the run for the most part against Houston. They did well versus the run for the most part against Tulane. Did well for the most part against UCF, against the run, against a young quarterback. I think the biggest key is, you know, ECU can't just line up and play base defense. I don't think they have that type of personnel to stop the run. But what they can do is they can blitz the crap out of teams and basically make them beat ECU through the air. So I think Blake Carroll's scheme is versatile enough to where it can take away a running game just based off blitzing alone. You know, the one fear you have in trying to stop the run with the blitz is if if they break that crease or that first line, or if you let them hit the cutback, or you let them break contain, then you can have a big play given up. But more times than not, when you're blitzing the run effectively, you're going to consistently stop it if you're guessing right. So uh, I would say the way ECU plays defense is built to stop the run, unless they're just in a terrible matchup like the App State game where it's hard to effectively blitz the uh, the stretch zone just because of how many cutback lanes there are and how many how many holes there are to fill and South or uh, App State excuse me excels at it and executes it at such a precise level that it's hard to replicate. So again, South Florida can run the football effectively. The other thing that creates a problem with it is the quarterback run game. If McLean plays, you have to account for him. Whereas some of the other games, it wasn't there. But I, I do think this defense is certainly capable of uh, slowing down the run on Thursday. Uh, Donald Duck 217. Uh, I don't know what his real name is. He asked, do you like the Pirates to cover the spread? At nine and a half. I tell you what, I never liked the Pirates to cover a big spread. And that's just from watching a lot of ECU sports over the years. It scares me to death. Um, they tend to play down to their opponent. I think South Florida's improving. ECU's on a short week. But I could also see a scenario where ECU, after two straight close losses, just comes out and plays a pretty complete game and dominates this game. So, you know, I I picked ECU to cover the spread. Barely. I think I have them winning 34-23, something in that range. Um, so I don't feel confident in it. I don't love it. I don't like it, but I would pick them to cover it. Uh, but, you know, Thursday night games are weird, short weeks, nobody's quite at 100%, game plans aren't really super in-depth, so, um, you know, I just don't love that spread. If it was six and a half, I would like it. I would like it a lot. Nine and a half, realistically, I'm probably staying away from it. Uh, Kevin, he asked how many does, I guess he says how many games. How many games does ECU have on ESPN on Thursday night in total? And will one be added tomorrow? Or maybe he's asking how many wins. I don't know how many wins ECU has on Thursday night on ESPN. I know ECU all-time, according to the game notes from Tom McClellan, of ECU is 7-12 and all-time on Thursday night games. I expect that to be 8-12 and by the end of Thursday night. All right, next question, Ryan. He's got a few questions, actually. He says, who will be ECU's biggest impact player on the D-line and run-stopping? Well, I think you always got to start with the the uh, interior guys, the defensive tackles, specifically for me, the nose tackle. Elijah Morris has played – he's just been solid all year. You know, he hasn't been spectacular, but he's been solid. Again, second-year guy, still maturing, has played through an ankle deal, and he's just graded out solid all year. So I think he's incredibly dependable. 
I think the guy you're looking at saying, hey, when when are we going to see Rick DeBrew be Rick DeBrew? And so, started the year at defensive end, last week played more defensive tackle. You know, this is the type of game where if you know the run is coming and you're playing on the interior, you're playing three-tech against the guard, you got to be able to win up front if you're a, if you're one of the better defensive linemen. And this we saw Rick DeBrew dominate last year's Navy game at times. You would like to see a similar performance at some point this year. Use his quickness and strength in those interior matchups. I know he's told me in the past he feels better about winning those matchups maybe than going against the tackle. So if you want to talk about impact plays, DeBrew has that potential. You want to talk about the guy that you know is going to be there and deliver, I think Elijah Morris can do that. Sarad Ware has also been doing well against the run uh, recently. You want to see those edge guys continue to come along. But I definitely think those interior guys are critical in a game like this. Uh, Ryan also asked, which ECU player gets tasked most with any quarterback spying? Again, we talked about this earlier. You know, you want a guy who's good in the open field, who can change direction well. I personally like Aaron Ramsour in that role, you know, but it, it could depend on what the scheme is, um, you know, what side of the field, what hashes the ball on, that sort of stuff. You know, you could see Bivens in that role. You could see Miles Berry, Xavier Smith. Taylor Jackson has been inserted in that role in the past. Um, but you want an athletic linebacker. I think you more or less want uh, your your wheel linebacker type, a guy who is athletic, can change direction, make plays on the run, play in space well, is the guy you want quarterback in that spot. But I think definitely one of the one of the inside linebackers will be tasked with that job. Uh, I guess if you wanted to get your most athletic defender, you could try to task your Sam, like uh, Jaira Wilson, Tegan Wilk, or Gerard Stringer with that role, but then you're losing a, a significant player in uh, in coverage. All right, uh, over under on the number of times Ryan asked that USF tries to pull the outside zone handoff like app and how successful do you think they would be well I haven't watched a ton of South Florida this year but I know that they don't go under center a lot so you're not going to see that same under center stretch zone play it's going to be more shotgun based RPO inside outside zone and so it's going to be more traditional as weird as that sounds traditional to this day and age used you know EC will be used to seeing that stuff more so than under center um, so they're, they're primarily going to be in the shotgun, but off that comes the quarterback run game, which is there. And also the RPO, you'll see them at times read the defense and pull the ball instead of handing it off and throwing a little quick, uh, quick flare in the flat or a little ball over the middle, which is what the RPO is designed to do. Basically you read a defender on the fly, see how he reacts and then make your decision as a quarterback from there. So that's why I think you'll see a lot of blitzing, a lot of mixing up coverages um, to try and confuse the young South Florida signal caller, no matter who's back there. Um, so I don't I don't think you'll see the outside stretch play. You'll see outside zone out of the shotgun, but uh, I doubt you'll see that same traditional app state stretch play, unless I'm just wrong. I haven't Again, I'm not a South Florida football scheme savant, but the highlights I've seen, they're mostly out of the shotgun. Uh, Cam Weed, he asks, who are your top three Pirates of all time, and why is Jack Sparrow number one? Are we talking real Pirates? Are we talking Pirate players? Are we talking fictional Pirates? Clearly, 
if you have Jack Sparrow number one, uh, or, or presume that I do, then we're I guess we're talking all of the above. So I tell you what, let's go. Let's have a little fun here. Number three pirate of all time, Chris Johnson, the football player, not the actual pirate, but Chris Johnson was uh, a pleasure to watch growing up, and the NFL career he ended up having. You know that 2009 season. Nothing like it, man. He was just so dominant at that level. And the most amazing thing about it is he had Kerry Collins and Vince Young handing him the football. So teams were stacking the box, and it didn't matter. It did not matter. Chris Johnson still ran for 2,000 yards, one of the few backs to do it in NFL history. And that, and his senior year at ECU, his coming out party, he was just electrifying that year. So Chris Johnson, number three. Number two, Blackbeard. I mean, how can you go against a legendary actual pirate like Blackbeard? Uh, just a true legend. Um, Queen Anne's Revenge, his ship, awesome name. Just a uh, just a good legendary pirate. He probably should be number one. But number one is Jack Sparrow. Um, just, you know, great personality. Outstanding captain. Leader of men. Knows when to have fun. Also knows when to be serious. Uh, you know, he's a romancer. Has all the ladies falling all, all over him. So, yeah, it's, it's tough to top Jack Sparrow. Will Turner just misses the cut, by the way, as uh, one of the top three Pirates of all time. Hopefully that was uh, satisfactory to your question, Cam. Um, NC Pirate 13, he's got three questions here. Uh, let's see here. Uh, number, oh, he's got a lot of questions here. Three separate posts. Do you think Mike Houston is just buying time till the end of the season to let go of Donnie Kirkpatrick? Why not get a young grad assistant a shot at play calling down the stretch? Wake scored 70 points in 18 minutes last week. They can barely score 18 points in 70 minutes. Well, I would say, uh, Donnie Kirkpatrick's offense has scored points in bunches actually this year when they have been rolling so you're wrong about that they scored 21 at Marshall in 7 minutes and 30 seconds they scored I think 28 in the second quarter against Charleston Southern and so yeah I mean listen the offense has been extremely inconsistent we've talked about that for three years now and I've said all along if the inconsistency continues through the end of the season then you really do have to sit down and evaluate it but I don't think Mike Houston's buying time there's nobody else on the coaching staff that has offensive coordinator experience. I mean, it's easy to say, hey, give a young GA a shot or whatever, but in reality, I just don't think that's the way to go. I mean, if it was, then the move would have already been made. And so, you know, from what I understand, you got Latrell Scott as the passing game coordinator. He's got good knowledge of the offense. You got Drew Dudzik, who's a young position coach but has good knowledge of offensive football. He called the plays uh, for the gold team and the purple gold uh, scrimmage this past spring. So you got other guys on staff that are more than capable rather than just hand it over to a GA or whatever if it came to that. But I, I just don't think Mike Houston's the type of guy to make a change midseason. He's going to let the full year play out and then make a decision from there. And there are five games left. Who's to say the offense can't figure it out over the next four, get a four-game winning streak, get to seven wins? Uh, and then at that point, are you still advocating for a OC change? I, I don't, you know, I don't know. It depends on how it looks. Uh, I know a lot of people are unhappy with the inconsistency of the offense, and I get it. They should be more consistent. They should be showing more growth. 
but let's let the season play out and then go from there. Uh, NC Pirate 13, he also asks, having a lefty at quarterback means your protection has to change. Do you think that has anything to do with the struggles on the, that the line is having protecting Holton? Do you think having a right-handed quarterback back there would make a difference in pass pro? Not really. I mean, I get what you're saying, but right now your best in terms of – if you look at the grades on Pro Football Focus and just the eye test, your best uh, pass protector right now is on the right side, which is Holton Aylor's blind side, and Noah Henderson. Before that, it was Bailey Malovic, who was going to be your best pass protector. He was also going to be your right tackle. So Justin Tace is playing the left tackle spot right now, so that's coming at the quarterback, not his blind side. He struggled against speed in specifically this year. Uh, they've also experimented with Nishad Strother there. So I agree, you do kind of have to flip your line in an ideal world with a left-handed passer. But I just think right now, on both sides, the pass protection has to get better at both tackle spots. But especially on the left side, uh, ECU's got to be more consistent at protecting the quarterback. They have not graded out well at left tackle the last number of weeks. And and that's not the quarterback's blind side, so I don't think it matters really what way uh, the 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 quarterback is facing in terms of when he throws the footballs or righty or lefty right now. Uh, and then last question from NC Pirate 13. Do you think tomorrow night is as good a time as any to let Mason Garcia get some series in? I feel like Donnie Kirkpatrick makes up excuses as to why he never plays. Um, parentheses, quote, well, we were winning with Holton, so you don't want to take him out during South Carolina game. Why not start him if you won't take Holton Aylers out with the lead? Well, here's the deal, guys. If you put Mason Garcia in the game for for no reason other than to get him experience or to get him reps to see if the offense will improve, like it's, I get it what you're saying. Like I, I advocate for Mason Garcia getting a series or two in theory, but and I would have liked to seen him play the last game when Holton got dinged up, especially that one series. But if you put him in, then it's tough to go back. I mean, you create that locker room rift, you make the rift between the fan base. One side con for Ehlers, one side con for for uh, Garcia, that much bigger. I mean, you don't see quarterbacks swapped out that often because it creates headlines. I mean, Matt Rule even said it himself with the Panthers this past week. I didn't want to bench Sam Darnold because he knows it's going to be the story. You, If you start Mason Garcia or you just pull Ehlers and play Mason Garcia one week, that becomes the story for the whole week to follow. And it's a distraction. That's the reality of it. It, it creates a rift in the locker room. It creates problems within the locker room with guys siding for one quarterback or the other. I mean, you can say everybody's bought in, best part, or uh, they just want the best for the team, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, these are human beings; they have the same feelings as fans as as other people do, et cetera. So, once you start playing that game, it's hard to get out of it. I think once you make that move, it's tough to go back. Like if you're 100 percent sold, Mason Garcia is the guy, and he gives you the best chance to win going forward you make that move for the foreseeable future, not just for a series or two. Um, you know, everybody always brings up the Steve Logan scripted series. Well, you know, how many people at that time actually like that idea? And secondly, how many people actually do that? What other coaches this day and age are scripting series for their backup quarterback? I just don't see that. I mean, that I, I, I've covered football a long time. I mean, there might be, what, one or two teams that I can think of that might still do that or that have done that period at any point, like I just don't think that's a common thing. Maybe I'm wrong on that. I don't think so. But, you know, that, that was a Steve Logan deal. Um, people didn't like it then. 
you script out a series for Mason Garcia, he goes in there and, and isn't good, then what good does that do? So I just feel like you have to be fully convinced that he's your guy going forward before you insert him in the game just to bench Holden Aylers for a series. Uh, unless there's an injury, unless he's hurt, there has to be a reason for it unless you fully think Garcia should be the guy going forward. And, um, you know, the coaches see practice every day. They should know who gives ECU the best chance to win. We've asked them about Garcia earlier this year. The answer has always been, Aylers gives us the best chance to win. Until that changes, I don't think you're going to see Garcia in a situation where Aylers is healthy other than in a specific package type deal. Uh, So that's the answer I can give you. All right, well, that looks like that is it for the questions as we sit here on Thursday afternoon. Again, appreciate you guys' uh, responding, asking questions, tuning in, as always, to the Hoisty Colors podcast. I'll give my prediction, then we'll get out of here as we continue to count down the hours till kickoff. And, you know, this is a this is a game I think ECU needs to win. It's a game that I think the Pirates will play well in. We've talked a lot about the circumstances surrounding the football game in terms of the short turnaround. You're coming off a tough loss, all that type of stuff. But, listen, if you can't get up for a game on Thursday night at home, blackout, black unis, student section should be pretty popping, then I don't know what you, you can get up for. I mean, this... This is a game the Pirates have to protect their home turf in, and the players have to be motivated. Um, and I think they will come out and play football, and I think they'll play it well. Uh, and I think ECU will win this game. I, I think a lot of people are kind of sleeping on South Florida. I think this is an improving football team. They always have talent. I think they're still growing under Jeff Scott. I think they've got what it takes to make this game pretty competitive and can easily win it if the Pirates continue to shoot themselves in the foot. But I think ECU takes care of business at home. 34-23 is my final score prediction. ECU gets back to 500 overall and 500 in conference play. 4-4 four and 2-2 four and, two and, two, and then goes into the Temple game hoping to get to 5-4. and four. So, And a couple extra days to recover. So big game on Thursday night. National TV game. A great opportunity to showcase the program. Looking forward to seeing what the stands look like especially that student section in the night of the Boneyard. Should be a fun day and a fun day of tailgating and a fun night inside Daddy Ficklin Stadium. All right, that'll do it for the Hoist the Colors podcast. Again, thanks to all you guys for the questions and for listening. We'll be back with you after the game to break it all down, probably sometime Friday or Saturday with our post-game podcast as we look back at uh, either a pirate win or a pirate loss. Uh, but you've been listening to the Hoist the Colors podcast. We'll talk to you this weekend.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.